0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Three, The Wild Wood. The Mole had long wanted to make the acquaintance of the Badger. He seemed, by all accounts, to be such an important personage, and, though rarely visible, to make his unseen influence felt by everybody about the place. But whenever the Mole mentioned his wish to the Water Rat, he always found himself put off. "'It's all right,' the Rat would say. Badger'll turn up some day or other, he's always turning up. And then i'll introduce you the best of fellows but you must not only take him as you find him but when you find him couldn't you ask him here dinner or something said the mole he wouldn't come replied the rat simply badger hates society and invitations and dinner and all that sort of thing well then supposing we go and call on him suggested the mole oh i'm sure he wouldn't like that at all said the rat quite alarmed he's so very shy he'd sure to be offended i've never even ventured to call on him at his home myself though i know him so well besides we can't it's quite out of the question because he lives in the very middle of the wild wood well well supposing he does said the mole "'You told me the wild wood was all right, you know.' "'Oh, I know, I know, so it is,' replied the Rat evasively. "'But I think we won't go there just now. "'Not just yet. "'It's a long way, and he wouldn't be at home at this time of year, anyhow. "'And he'll be coming along some day, so if you'd just wait patiently.' The Mole had to be content with this but the badger never came along and every day brought its amusements and it was not till summer was long over and cold and frost and miry ways kept them much indoors and the swollen river raced past their windows with a speed that mocked at boating of any sort or kind that he found his thoughts dwelling again with much persistence on the solitary grey badger who lived his own life by himself in his hole in the middle of the wild wood. In the winter time, the Rat slept a great deal, retiring early and rising late. During his short day he sometimes scribbled poetry or did other small domestic jobs about the house. And of course there were always animals dropping in for a chat, and consequently there was a great deal of story-telling and comparing notes on the past summer and all its doings. Such a rich chapter it had been when one came to look back on it all, with illustrations so numerous and so very highly coloured, the pageant of the river bank had marched steadily along, unfolding itself in scene pictures that succeeded each other in stately procession. Purple loose strife arrived early, shaking luxuriant, tangled locks along the edge of the mirror, whence its own face laughed back at it. Willow-herb, tender and wistful, like a pink sunset cloud, was not slow to follow. Comfrey, the purple hand in hand with the white, crept forth to take its place in the line, and at last one morning the diffident and delaying dog-rose stepped delicately on the stage, and one knew as if if string-music had announced it in stately chords that strayed into a gavotte that June at last was here. One member of the company was still awaited—the shepherd boy for the nymphs to woo, the knight for whom the ladies waited at the window, the prince that was to kiss the sleeping summer back to life and love. But when Meadowsweet, debonair, and odorous in amber jerkin moved graciously to his place in the group, then the play was ready to begin. And what a play it had been! Drowsy animals, snug in their holes, while wind and rain were battering at their doors, recalled still keen mornings, an hour before sunrise, when the white mist, as yet undispersed, clung closely along the surface of the water. Then the shock of the early plunge, the scamper along the bank, the radiant transformation of earth, air, and water, when suddenly the sun was with them again, and when grey was gold and colour was born and sprang out of the earth once more. They recalled the languorous siesta of hot midday, deep in green undergrowth, the sun striking through in tiny golden shafts and spots, the boating and bathing of the afternoon, the rambles along dusty lanes and through yellow cornfields, and the long cool evening at last when so many threads were gathered up, so many friendships rounded, and so many adventures planned for the morrow. There was plenty to talk about on those short winter days when the animals found themselves round the fire. Still the Mole had a great deal of spare time on his hands, and so one afternoon when the Rat in his armchair before the Blaze was alternately dozing and trying over rhymes that just wouldn't fit. He formed the resolution to go out by himself and explore the wild wood, and perhaps strike up an acquaintance with Mr. Badger. It was a cold still afternoon, with a hard steely sky overhead, when he slipped out of the warm parlour into the open air. The country lay bare and entirely leafless around him and he thought that he had never seen so far and so intimately into the insides of things as on that winter day, when nature was deep in her annual slumber and seemed to have kicked the clothes off. Copses, dells, quarries, and all hidden places, which had been mysterious mines for exploration in leafy summer, now exposed themselves and their secrets pathetically and seemed to ask him to overlook their shabby poverty for a while till they could riot in rich masquerade as before and trick and entice him with the old deceptions it was pitiful in a way and yet cheering even exhilarating he was glad that he liked the country undecorated hard and stripped of its finery he had got down to the bare bones of it and they were fine and strong and simple. He did not want the warm clover, and the play of seeding grasses. The screens of quickset, the billowy drapery of beech and elm seemed best away, and with great cheerfulness of spirit he pushed on towards the wild wood, which lay before him low and threatening, like a black reef in some still southern sea. There was nothing to alarm him at first entry twigs crackled under his feet, logs tripped him, funguses on stumps resembled caricatures, and startled him for the moment by their likeness to something familiar and far away. But that was all fun and exciting. It led him on, and he penetrated to where the light was less, and the trees crouched nearer and nearer, and holes made ugly mouths at him on either side. Everything was still now. The dusk advanced on him steadily, rapidly, gathering in behind and before, and the light seemed to be draining away like flood-water. Then the faces began. It was over his shoulder, and indistinctly, that he first thought he saw a face—a little evil wedge-shaped face, looking out at him from a hole. When he turned and confronted it, the thing had vanished. He quickened his pace, telling himself cheerfully not to begin imagining things, or there would be simply no end to it. He passed another hole, and another, and another, and then, yes, no, yes! Certainly a little narrow face with hard eyes had flashed up for an instant from a hole and was gone. He hesitated, braced himself up for an effort, and strode on. Then suddenly, as if it had been so all the time. Every hole, far and near, and there were hundreds of them, seemed to possess its face, coming and going rapidly, all fixing on him glances of malice and hatred, all hard-eyed and evil and sharp. If he could only get away from the holes in the banks, he thought, there would be no more faces he swung off the path and plunged into the untrodden places of the wood. Then the whistling began. Very faint and shrill it was, and far behind him when first he heard it. But somehow it made him hurry forward. Then still very faint and shrill, it sounded far ahead of him, and made him hesitate and want to go back. As he halted in indecision, it broke out on either side and seemed to be caught up and passed on throughout the whole length of the wood to its farthest limit. They were up and alert and ready, evidently, whoever they were. And he, he was alone and unarmed and far from any help, and the night was closing in. Then the pattering began. He thought it was only falling leaves at first so slight and delicate was the sound of it. Then as it grew it took a regular rhythm, and he knew it for nothing else but the pip-pat-pat of little feet still a very long way off. Was it in front or behind? It seemed to be first one, then the other, then both. It grew and it multiplied, till from every quarter as he listened anxiously, leaning this way and that. It seemed to be closing in on him. As he stood still to hearken, a rabbit came running hard towards him through the trees. He waited, expecting it to slacken pace or swerve in front of him into a different course. Instead, the animal almost brushed him as it dashed past. Its face set and hard, his eyes staring. "'Get out of this, you fool, get out!' The Mole heard him mutter as he swung around a stump, and disappeared down a friendly burrow. The pattering increased, till it sounded like sudden hail on the dry-leaf carpet spread around him. The whole wood seemed running now, running hard, hunting, chasing, closing in round something or—somebody. In panic he began to run too, aimlessly he knew not whither. He ran up against things, he fell over things and into things, he darted under things and dodged around things. At last he took refuge in the deep dark hollow of an old beech tree, which offered shelter, concealment, perhaps even safety. But who could tell? Anyhow, he was too tired to run any further, and could only snuggle down into the dry leaves which had drifted into the hollow. And hope he was safe for the time. As he lay there panting and trembling and listening to the whistlings and patterings outside, he knew at last in all its fullness that dread thing which other little dwellers in field and hedgerow had encountered here and known as their darkest moment. That thing which the rat had vainly tried to shield him from the terror of the wild wood. Meanwhile the Rat, warm and comfortable, dozed by his fireside. His paper of half-finished verses slipped from his knee. His head fell back, his mouth opened, and he wandered by the verdant banks of dream rivers. Then a coal slipped, the fire crackled, and sent up a spurt of flame, and he woke with a start. Remembering what he had engaged upon, he reached down to the floor for his verses, pored over them for a minute, and then looked around for Mole, to ask him if he knew a good rhyme for something or other. But the Mole was not there. He listened for a time. The house seemed very quiet. Then he called, Moley, several times, and receiving no answer, got up and went out into the hall. The Mole's cap was missing from its accustomed peg his galoshes, which always lay by the umbrella-stand were also gone the rat left the house and carefully examined the muddy surface of the ground outside hoping to find the mole's tracks they were there sure enough the galoshes were new just brought for the winter and the pimples in their soles were fresh and sharp He could see the imprints of them in the mud, running along straight and purposeful, leading direct to the wild wood. The Rat looked very grave, and stood in deep thought for a minute or two. Then he re-entered the house, strapped a belt around his waist, shoved a brace of pistols into it, took up a stout cudgel that stood in a corner of the hall and set off for the wild wood at a smart pace. It was already getting towards dusk when he reached the first fringes of trees, and plunged without hesitation into the wood, looking anxiously on either side for any sign of his friend. Here and there wicked little faces popped out of holes, but it vanished immediately at the sight of the valorous animal, his pistols, and the great ugly cudgel in his grasp and the whistling and pattering, which he had heard quite plainly on his first entry, died away and ceased, and all was very still. He made his way manfully through the length of the wood to its farthest edge, then, forsaking all paths, he set himself to traverse it, laboriously working over the whole ground, and all the time calling out cheerfully, "Moly, moly, moly, where are you?' it's me it's old rat he had patiently hunted through the wood for an hour or more when at last to his joy he heard a little answering cry guiding himself by the sound he made his way through the gathering darkness to the foot of an old beech tree with a hole in it and from out of the hole came a feeble voice saying ratty is it really you the rat crept into the hollow and there he found the mole exhausted and still trembling oh rat he cried i've been so frightened you can't think oh i quite understand said the rat soothingly you shouldn't really have gone and done it mole i did my best to keep you from it we river bankers we hardly ever come here by ourselves if we have to come we come in couples at least then we're generally all right besides there are a hundred things that one has to know which we understand all about and you don't as yet I mean passwords and signs and saying which have power and effect and plants that you carry in your pocket and verses you repeat and dodges and tricks that you practice all simple enough when you know them but they've got to be known if you're small you'll find yourself in trouble of course if you were a badger or otter it would be quite another matter surely the brave mr toad wouldn't mind coming here by himself would he inquired the mole oh toad said the rat laughing heartily he wouldn't show his face here alone not for a whole hatful of golden guineas toad wouldn't The mole was greatly cheered by the sound of Rat's careless laughter, as well as by the sight of his stick and his gleaming pistols, and he stopped shivering, and began to feel bolder and more himself again. Now then, said Rat presently, we really must pull ourselves together and make a start for home while there's still a little light left. It will never do to spend the night here, you understand. Too cold for one thing. Dear Ratty said the poor mole i'm dreadfully sorry but i'm simply dead beat and that's a solid fact you must let me rest here a little while longer and get my strength back if i'm to get home at all oh, all right said the good-natured rat rest away it's pretty near pitch dark now anyhow and there ought to be a bit of a moon later so the mole got well into the dry leaves and stretched himself out and presently dropped off into sleep though of a broken and troubled sort while the rat covered himself up too as best he might for warmth and lay patiently waiting with a pistol in his paw when at last the mole woke up much refreshed in his usual spirits the rat said now then i'll just take a look outside and see if everything's quiet and then we really must be off. He went to the entrance of their retreat and put his head out. Then the mole heard him saying quietly to himself Hello, hello here is a go. What what's up, Ratty? asked the mole. Snow is up, replied the rat briefly, or rather down, it's snowing hard. The Mole came and crouched beside him, and, looking out, saw the wood that had been so dreadful to him in quite a changed aspect. Holes, hollows, pools, pitfalls, and other black menaces to the wayfarer were vanishing fast, and a gleaming carpet of fairy was springing up everywhere that looked too delicate to be trodden upon by a rough feet. A fine powder filled the air and caressed the cheek with a tingle in its touch and the black boles of the trees showed up in a light that seemed to come from below well well it can't be helped said the rat after pondering we must make a start and take our chance i suppose the worst of it is i don't exactly know where we are and now this snow makes everything look so very different it did indeed the mole would not have known it was even the same wood However, they set out bravely and took the line that seemed most promising, holding on to each other and pretending with invincible cheerfulness that they recognized an old friend in every fresh tree that grimly and silently greeted them, or saw openings, gaps, or paths with a familiar turn in them, in the monotony of the white space and black tree-trunks that refused to vary. An hour or two later they had lost count of all time. They pulled up, dispirited, weary, and hopelessly at sea, and sat down on a fallen tree trunk to cover their breath and consider what was to be done. They were aching with fatigue, and bruised with tumbles. They had fallen into several holes and got wet through. The snow was getting so deep that they could hardly drag their little legs through it, and the trees were thicker and more like each other than ever there seemed to be no end to this wood and no beginning and no difference in it and worst of all no way out we can't sit here very long said the rat we shall have to make another push for it and do something or other the cold is too awful for anything and the snow will soon be too deep for us to wade through he peered about him and considered look here he went on this is what occurs to me there's a sort of dell down there in front of us where the ground seems all hilly and humpy and hummocky we'll make our way down into that and try and find some sort of shelter a cave or a hole with a dry floor to it out of the snow and the wind there we'll have a good rest before we try again for we're both of us plenty dead beat besides the snow may leave off or something may turn up So once more they got on their feet, and struggled down into the dell, where they hunted about for a cave or some corner that was dry, and a protection from the keen wind and the whirling snow. They were investigating one of the hummocky bits the Rat had spoken of, when suddenly the Mole tripped up and fell forward on his face with a squeal. "'Oh, my leg!' he cried. "'Oh, my poor shin!' And he sat up on the snow and nursed his leg in both his front paws. "'Poor old Mole!' said the Rat kindly. "'You don't seem to be having much luck to-day, do you? Let's have a look at that leg.' "'Yes,' he went on, going down on his knees to look. "'You've cut your shin, sure enough. Wait till I get my handkerchief, and I'll tie it up for you.' "'I must have tripped over a hidden branch or a stump said the Mole miserably. "'Oh, my! Oh, my! That's a very clean cut,' said the Rat, examining it again attentively. "'That was never done by a branch or a stump. Looks like it was made by a sharp edge of something in metal. Funny!' He pondered a while, and examined the humps and slopes that surrounded them. "'Never mind what done it! said the Mole, forgetting his grammar in his pain. It hurts just the same whatever done it." But the Rat, after carefully tying up the leg with his handkerchief, had left him, and was busy scraping in the snow. He scratched and shovelled and explored, all four legs working busily, while the Mole waited impatiently, remarking at intervals, "'Oh, come on, Rat!' Suddenly the Rat cried, "'Hurray!' And then hurrah hurrah rah, ray, and fell to executing a feeble jig in the snow. What have you found, Ratty? asked the mole, still nursing his leg. Come and see, said the delighted rat as he jigged on. The mole hobbled up to the spot and had a good look. Well, wow, he said, at last, slowly, I see it right enough seen the same sort of thing before lots of times familiar object i call it a door scraper well what of it why dance jigs around a door scraper but don't you see what it means you you dull-witted animal cried the rat impatiently well of, of course i see what it means replied the mole It simply means that some very careless and forgetful person has left his door-scraper lying around in the middle of the wild wood, just where it's sure to trip everybody up. Very thoughtless of him, I'd say. When I get home, I shall go and complain about it to, to somebody or other. See if I don't. "'Oh, dear! Oh, dear!' cried the Rat in despair at his obtuseness. "'Here, stop arguing, and come and scrape!' and he set to work again and made the snow fly in all directions around him. After some further toil his efforts were rewarded, and a very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. "'There, what did I tell you?' exclaimed the Rat in great triumph. "'Absolutely nothing whatsoever,' replied the Mole, in perfect truthfulness. "'Well now,' he went on, "'you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter done for and thrown away, and I suppose you're perfectly happy. Better go and head and dance your jig around that, if you've got to, and get it over, and then perhaps we can go on and not waste any more time over rubbish heaps. Can we eat a doormat? Or sleep under the doormat? Or sit on a doormat and sled home over the snow on it, you exasperating rodent? Do you mean to say— cried the exciting rat, that this doormat doesn't tell you anything? Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly. I think we've had enough of this folly. Whoever thought of a doormat telling anyone anything, they simply don't go do it. They are not that sort at all. Doormats know their place. Now look here, you you thick-headed beast, replied the rat, really angry. This must stop not another word but scrape scrape and scratch and dig and hunt around especially on the sides of the hummock if you want to sleep dry and warm to-night for it's our last chance the rat attacked the snowbank beside them with ardour probing with his cudgel everywhere and then digging with fury and the mole scraped busily too more to oblige the rat than for any other reason for his opinion was that his friend was getting light-headed. Some ten minutes' hard work and the point of the rat's cudgel struck something that sounded hollow. He worked till he could get a paw through and feel. Then he called to Mole to come and help him. Hard at it went the two animals, till at last the result of their labour stood in full view of the astonished and hitherto incredulous Mole. In the side of what had seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door, painted dark green. An iron bell-pull hung by the side, and below it, on a small brass plate, neatly engraved in square capital letters, they could read by the aid of moonlight, Mr. Badger. The Mole fell backwards on the snow from sheer surprise and delight. Rat! he cried in penitence you're a wonder a real wonder that's what you are i see it all now you argued it out step by step in that wise head of yours from the very moment that i fell and cut my shin and you looked at the cut and at once your majestic mind said to itself door scraper and then you turned to and found the very door scraper that done it did you stop there? Nope. Some people would have been quite satisfied, but not you. Your intellect went on working. Let me only just find a doormat, says you to yourself, and my theory is proved. And, of course, you found your doormat. You're so clever. I believe you could find anything you liked. Now, says you, that door exists as plain as if I saw it. There's nothing else remains to be done, but to find it Well, I've read about that sort of thing in books, but I've never come across it in real life You ought to go where you're properly appreciated. You're simply wasted here among us fellows if only I had your head ratty But as you haven't interrupted the rat rather unkindly I suppose you're going to sit on the snow all night and talk get up at once and hang on to that bell-pull you see there and ring hard as hard as ever you can while i hammer while the rat attacked the door with his stick the mole sprang up at the door-pull clutched it and swung there both feet well off the ground and from quite a long way off they could faintly hear a deep-toned bell respond End of chapter 3